Um, I am stoked today to be able to speak to you guys on, uh, we're going through the series in John, the Gospel according to John. And today we're talking about glory in flesh. So if you will, turn with me in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible or a smartphone, I think we've got the scripture on the screen too for you. So um, we're going to be digging into the final five verses of John's prologue into this entire gospel. And um, so I'm going to dive right in. And I'm I'm super excited about what God is going to say to us today. John 1, 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh. Happy Mother's Day. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him, John the Baptist he's speaking of, and cried out, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Father, I ask You to open our hearts, speak to us today. Help us to see You in a way that revolutionizes our lives. Bring the change that we so sorely need into our lives, into our relationships, into every aspect of who we are through this wondrous opportunity that we have to see you, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I am so excited to be speaking on this passage today. It's one of those passages that I've I've known for a long time. It's one of the first scriptures I memorized in Bible quizzing. And this prologue, this first 18 verses, really are a seed plot for the rest of John. Everything else we're going to study in this series points right back to these first 18 verses. And I'm I'm wrapping up, we've had two sermons so far in this series, and I'm wrapping up this prologue with verses 14 through 18. And I'll be honest with you, it's a bit overwhelming. There are, I don't know if you picked it up when we read this, there are a lot of concepts in these five verses here. The glory of God, the grace of God, the truth of God, the incarnation, the mission of God. That's like, and I get to try to squeeze that all into one sermon. And I only have about three hours to do it. So I need you guys to pray with me. Uh, Now I was looking around and, and uh, I'm joking about the three hours for the guests. Just in case you don't know. I'm looking around, and uh, some sermons really just focus on God's glory. Some people who are preaching on this passage just focus on the mission of God. And I thought, how in the world? We could preach an entire series out of these short verses that we just read. But I've been tasked with bringing it all together. So, a simple way of explaining the complexity of this passage we just read is this. God is calling us to see and to display Jesus. God is calling us through this passage to see and display Jesus. And there's a truth that as you witness the glory of God in the face of Jesus, full of grace and truth, your heart will be renewed and your life will be changed. 
And it will affect everybody around you. How many of you guys want your life to be changed in such a way that you have a positive impact on the world around you? At least 80%. I'm in the right place. Cool. Notice that the movement here of this sermon will be three points. Seeing Jesus, worshiping God as your heart is renewed, and displaying Jesus. Seeing Jesus, letting your heart be renewed, and displaying Jesus. And I think, unfortunately, that's a lot of people are really comfortable with just seeing something as truth, being able to pass a quiz, but they never let it really impact their hearts. And they never experience the life change that can be had as a result of something powerful and true coming in and invading your life and changing you. If truth never invades your heart, it will not change you. It's essential today that today as we listen to the sermon and we read the passage and see Christ in the scripture, it's essential that our hearts begin to worship him. If we just listen to this word and high-five each other walking out the door and get our cool snapshot, we will never experience the life change that we need to experience, that people in our lives need for us to experience. It's like truth, a way that a friend of mine explained it. He said, truth is like calories. They're great. They give you energy. They help you go out and do something. But a lot of us, what we do is we accumulate truth and we don't do anything with it. And what happens to calories that you don't do anything with? I hit 30 a little while ago and I'm starting to understand this a little bit more as the metabolism slows down. (laughs) Mike's in denial. So I want to challenge you today to see Jesus for who He is in this passage and that as we do, that you wouldn't just listen to the Word, but that you would actually, in your heart, take time in the sermon to pause, to close your eyes, to imagine the glory and the grace and truth of God and, and worship Him. And let your heart be renewed. Let this be a relational time with you and Jesus. Is that all right? All right. So how many of you guys want to display the grace and truth of God to people He's placed in your life? Another showing of hands. Good. There's only one way to do it well. And the first point is seeing Jesus. And we're just going to walk through the text. Verse 14 says, if you could get it up on the screen. Verse 14, that the Word of God became flesh. It's the incarnation. I don't know where you're eating today after church. Maybe you're going out for Mexican food and you're going to have some carne asada, right? It's that Latin word, right? It means flesh. (laughs) Apologize for any vegans in the house, but flesh. God became flesh. He incarnated and dwelt among us. Wow. It it wasn't meant to be funny, but hey. And we beheld as what? What does the scripture say we saw? Glory. What is glory? It reminds me of like growing up in Pentecostal church and somebody would say a point and somebody would go, glory! Like, what is that? What is glory? We were um, 
We just took a, a vacation to Palm Springs. My my parents go every year, and they invited Nancy and I to go along with the the kids. And it was funny. We like got out of San Diego. It was so hot here. You guys remember that last week? We got up there and walked in the room, dropped the bags, turned on the TV, and the first news report was. If you're from Palm Springs, get out of town this weekend. Go to a cool place like San Diego because it is hot. <laughs> so, yes. All right. We chose the right time to come. And we basically just hung out by the pool, like hung out by water. That's all we did. Drink water, lay in water. It's pretty much all we did for, for three days. But there was this day that um, I walked out of the pool. It was the first night we were there, actually. And... I saw up, up by this pool, there was this embankment and this, and this fence, and, and the sky was just so amazing. Like, it was golden. It was, like, painted with gold leaflets and the clouds, and you could see the silhouette of the mountain. So I walked up the hill with Gavin in my arms, and we looked over the, over the fence there, this big block fence, and all you could see is white sand and desert leading up to these majestic mountains. And the silhouette, and and as we stood there for about five minutes, we watched that gold start transforming to pink and orange and purple and all those colors. And one ray of sunshine was like eclipsing part of the mountain where you couldn't even see the mountain anymore. And it was so mind-blowingly beautiful. I just stood there without any words. Have you ever experienced something like that? And then I immediately pulled out my iPhone and took an Instagram. (laughs) Have you experienced something like that? You go away from the city, you're camping under the stars, and that blanket of stars spread out above you, and you never realized how many stars there actually were. Or you go to a concert, and the music and the cadence and the rhythm and all the beauty of it, is, is like just it's just blaring and people are getting into it and you feel like you're being caught into caught up into something like bigger than yourself and you just have you guys ever experienced something like that or maybe some food right for the foodies in the house and that first bite of that cafe calabria pizza just melts in your mouth and you don't want to take another bite you just want that first contact with your tongue to just stay there and you eat the whole pizza by yourself and order another one to take home. <laughs> Much to your wife's chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> or certain certain art that you see in a gallery. Or how about moms? It's Mother's Day, the first time you hold that baby in your arms. And you look down. I know some of you dads can relate. You look down and you see, Oh, that moment. And you vow, I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm going to love you with a love that I can't even express with words right now. There's these moments of beauty in life that take our breath away. And those moments are full of something we call glory. It's amazing. It's, it's something you can't even, you can try to put into words. I'm trying to here, but words fall so short of the ultimate reality of what you're experiencing. And something moves within us. Something warms our heart. And we actually sometimes begin to change our behavior, changes our life. But as majestic as those things are, the glory of, of created things is just a dim reflection to, compared to the glory of the, the creator of the world. 
It's like seeing through a tinted window. His glory, this this ultimate reality, the white hot light of His holiness and truth. The the word here in in the Hebrew says glory is, is heaviness, weightiness. The ultimate reality of God. If you could catch a glimpse of it, it would change you. Seeing His glory will change you. You can't help it. You can't just go back to being the same after an experience like that and pretend that it it didn't happen. And that's what John the Baptist sees. In verse 15, and this verse is just basically a parenthesis. He says, He ranks before me because He was before me. Question for you guys. I'd love to hear you answer. Why is John saying that? I mean, John the Baptist is older than Jesus. He started to minister before Jesus did. Why is he saying Jesus ranks before him because he was before him? Because he knows he's what? God. And the Gospel of John is all about that. Jesus proclaiming his deity. That he's not just another prophet, although he is a prophet. That he's not just another man with a mission. But that he is actually, in fact, God in the flesh. And let's keep seeing Jesus in this text. Verse 16. In verse 16, the first word here is, is and. And I, I love what John Piper had to say on this. He said, it should start with because. Because that, that verse 15 is just in a parenthesis, that verse about John. So it should sound more like, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, because, right, because from His fullness we have received grace upon grace. And why is that important? little linguistic point. Because nobody could see His glory on their own. It is by the grace of God that any one of us here have ever caught a glimpse of God's glory. Seeing His glory is a supernatural event. There's plenty of people that saw Jesus, but were never changed by it. There's plenty of people today that know about the historical figure of Jesus, but they never caught a glimpse of the glory. You have to have God's grace. It's a work of God's grace to see His glory and be changed by it. But the more you see the glory of God, full of grace and truth in the face of Jesus Christ, the more you will be changed by it. Verse 17, because the law, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law, the nature of God given to man, written down on paper, was given through Moses. But what? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see that grace and truth repeated often? In fact, this passage of John is the only passage where grace is mentioned. The whole rest of the book talks about truth a lot, talks about glory, but it never mentions grace again. So it's important that we focus on that today. Why, though, is he bringing Moses up? And this could blow your mind. It, it blew my mind. And a disclaimer, I, for those of you who love studying Scripture and the theo, theo heads among us, don't just jump to Paul and Romans and law versus grace immediately. Let the context of what John is saying work this out for you. Okay? Why is John bringing up Moses? Well, he's talking about seeing God's glory, right? That's a really old school concept. That's Old Testament. It's Moses. Everyone who studied the Scriptures at this time saw Moses as the hero. And I think 
I, I agree with what most scholars say that this reference is pointing right back to Exodus 33. And there's this story in the Old Testament when after Israel has been... You guys remember the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston with the cotton white beard, you know? And Israel has been freed from slavery in Egypt and they're wandering around in the desert. And there's a tabernacle that they've built and it houses the glory of God in it and they camp all around it. And God says, you're going to go to the promised land. They have these spies that go and they check it out and they come back and they're like, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't. Nope, we're not going to the promised land. Did you see the giants in the promised land? It's crazy. And God gets so frustrated. He says, you know what? My presence will not go with you anymore because you refuse to trust me. You refuse to follow me. You're stiff-necked people. And Moses goes and he intercedes with God for the people of Israel. And there's this story in Exodus 33 where he goes to this tent and he's talking with God. And he says, please, will you go with us? You've called me a man after your heart. Will you please, for my sake, will you go with your people? And he puts himself on the line for the children of Israel. And God says, for your sake, I will. I will go with the children of Israel. And Moses is like, well, that was easy. Okay. And so he decides to up it a notch. I love this. And he says, "Uh, so could you show me your glory? Show me your glory. And what does God say to him? No man can see my glory and live. The white hot perfection of God's glory is too much for us. No man can see God's glory and live. It's like what Kenny was saying a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, when we first started the series and he talked about God being light, right? And how sin isn't really like something that exists on its own, but it's just really the absence of God's holiness, much like darkness doesn't exist on its own. It's just the absence of light. What happens when you turn a light on in the room? Does the darkness like fight back? No, this darkness is just the absence of the light. And when you turn on a light, it scatters the darkness. It just disappears. It's the same with us and our sinfulness and our brokenness in the light of God's holiness. Like when the light of God comes into the room, Man, our, our sin, our brokenness is just gone. And you know what? If we are full of sin, what does that mean for us? It's bad news, right? Hasta luego, muchacho. I'm taking Spanish. So the, in this tabernacle, you even see that. You see this like this movement where only one priest was able to go, the priest, the, into the Holy of Holies, and he had to do all this ritual washing and all this cleansing. And if he had sin in his life and he went into the Holy of Holies, what happened? Man, asta. So Moses asks to see God's glory. And God responds with grace. Because this part of the story is amazing to me. Firstly, Moses does get to see part of God and live. That's, that's grace in itself, right? God says, you know what? Meet me up at the top of the mountain and get ready up by this cleft of the rock and I'm going to put my hand over your eyes as I pass by and I'm going to allow you to see my back, not my face. It, it, would, it would destroy you. So God graciously lets Moses live and as God passes by Moses, he says these two Hebrew words that this is the part that's just really blowing my mind. It's these two words. It's hesed and emet. 
in the Septuagint, this is how God's describing Himself in front of Moses. In the Septuagint, it translates grace and truth. That God's glory is full of grace and truth. And that's how God describes Himself to Moses in that moment as He walks by. So God gives him grace and that he doesn't kill him. He describes himself as full of grace and truth. And in that moment, he gives Moses the law, which is a wonderful representation of God's grace for his people. And Moses comes out of that experience changed. You guys remember the story? They have to put a veil over his face because nobody can look at him because the glory of God is shining out so much just from seeing God's back. It's crazy. Crazy talk. Moses comes out changed. But do you see what the author of John is doing here? That he's tying the glory of Christ's incarnation as the word of the law in flesh, full of has said and met, full of grace and truth, right back into Moses. And why Moses? Because nobody in the Old Testament pushed their way in and tried to see God's glory like Moses did. He wanted to see God's glory. But as awesomely as Moses was used by God, look at what the text says about Jesus. 17 and 18. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Jesus is the true and better Moses. And that's what John is saying to his Hebrew audience. You guys love Moses. In a sense, you almost idolize him. But let me tell you about Jesus. All right? Moses can't even see his face because the glory would be too much. But Jesus is the glory of God. And we're able to see the glory of God in his face. Moses said manna would come down. But in John 6, which we'll get to, 33, Jesus said, I am the manna that comes down from heaven. Moses lifted up this snake in the wilderness when these vipers were attacking people and biting them. And everyone that got to look at this, this staff that he made with a snake on it would, would be saved from their snake bite. But according to John 3.14, Jesus is lifted up on a cross so that anyone believes on him is saved from the sting of death itself. The law of Moses was the word of God, but Jesus was God, the word made flesh. Jesus was the greatest sermon ever preached. This is not the greatest sermon in the world. It is just a tribute. He was God Himself. Okay, hold on, stay with me. He was God Himself coming down and living a 33 year long exegetical sermon on the law and prophets. In fact, the word there in verse 18, that word, he's made him known, he's declared him, he's revealed him, is where it comes from the Greek word exegeomi, which is where we get the word exegete. Jesus exegeted God for us. Jesus declared the mystery of God. He interpreted God. He narrated God for us. Question for you, why does all that matter? Well, we're talking about seeing Jesus. Let me ask you, why are you here today? What's the purpose for you being here this morning? I would bet that it's not just to stamp a spiritual time card. Be like, yeah, I went to church, did my duty. I would bet that the reason you and I are here today is because we actually, in fact, are hungry for something more. 
that we want to change? That we look at the fruit of our life and we say, there's got to be more. I've, I've got to become better. There's, there's, there's something more to life than this. We realize there's something missing. We look at our lives and realize we're more broken and self-centered and helpless to change than we would really like to admit. And we want to experience something deeply spiritual and transformative. We want to grow as humans. You guys ever try to break a bad habit or try to change a behavior that you wish would go away and just fail miserably at it? New Year's resolutions, anybody? <laughs> Besides me? What is up with that, Lent? <laughs> we just came through Lent. Yeah. What is up with that? It reminds me of the old Gatorade commercial. You guys may remember. You remember the Gatorade commercial? Somebody's like, got the ball. Doom, doom, doom. And they've got the orange sweat. <laughs> or the neon green sweat. And the tagline is, is it in you? Right. Anybody remember that one? Is it in you? And I think there's so much truth there. Because there is truth. Scripture says that what's in us is what comes out fuels our life. What's deep down, your deepest beliefs, your deepest thoughts about life, your values are what shape you and what shape the words you speak and the actions you take and the priorities you make. Another word for that is incarnate. We incarnate our deepest beliefs. That's what makes its way out into the flesh of our lives. Look at your life. What is in you? What do you really believe? Not what do you know? We know a lot of things. What do you really believe in your heart of hearts about who God is and what He's done for you? What does the gospel mean to you? What do you treasure? What do you value? What do you hope in? If you want to know what you really believe, just look at the fruit of your life. Look at what you experience daily in your relationships. Look at how you treat others. Like, for instance, here's a couple scenarios for you to think about. What is your impulse when somebody cuts you off on the highway and then slows down? Oh, God bless them. I'm just going to pray for them. What words cross your mind when somebody takes credit for something you did? Anybody had that happen? Project at work? And, but they like outrank you so you can't say anything? I, I, finances. I had this um, this last week, two weeks ago. I started using Bill Pay for the first time on a computer. You know where you send the check electronically, and so the first two or three that I did, it just like deducted from my account. I was like, "This is awesome! I don't have to wait for the check to get cash. It comes straight out of the account. Whew, it's great." So I got this new tax guy, and we sent them the check for doing our taxes. And like a week ago. I get this email that the check bounced. It's like, the check bounced? What are you talking about? You know, no, there's something wrong. So I go to the bank and I'm like, hey, something's wrong with your bill pay. <laughs> and I got angry, man. Come to find out the way that it, it, it has to be a certain kind of payee. Like you send it to certain people and it automatically ducks, but not for everybody. It doesn't automatically come out according to this bill pay system. So I was angry though. Why was I angry? Why was I teed off? Why was I about to go like, mm, on the banker who's just trying to do her job, you know? I've been there before. I've been the person at the computer who's like, I don't even handle the bill pay. But I was angry. Why? 
Why? Because my pride was hurt. The tax person happens to be a family friend that's been doing my cousin's taxes for years, and I send him a bad check. I don't send bad checks. Right? I'm so frustrated. We personify and incarnate all kinds of jacked up beliefs and motivations. So what is our hope in? If you're wondering why you continue to do some of the things you do, you don't need to look any further than your own beliefs. You can see all the counselors in the world and read all the self-help books in the world, and they're good. They're helpful at times. They have its place. But the more we look within, I think the more helpless we are. Many people, I don't know, have you met people that are even afraid to look within their own hearts? They're afraid to really see what's down there? It's kind of like Shrek. We were watching Shrek the other day. Remember that part? And he's like, donkey... I'm not going to do the accent. I'll film his really with donkey. Ogres are like onions. He's like, what, they stank? They have layers. It's like that with our heart, right? You you peel a layer back of your own sinfulness and brokenness and self-centeredness, and you see two more layers. And you peel those back, and it just keeps going down deeper and deeper. And you're like, man, I'm really jacked up inside. The further we dig into the depravity of our own heart, the more brokenness and despair we find. So what's our hope? Digging deep enough? Finally getting to the bottom of it all and like applying the gospel juice and that's going to fix us? Sin management, rooting out our sin at the source and getting to the bottom of it? No way. That's not going to change your life. Don't focus on your sin. Focus on your Savior. His Glory, full of grace for you and truth for you. The old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his marvelous face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's exactly the way out of this mess. To turn your eyes upon Jesus. To see Jesus. To bear witness to His glory. Because when we see Him and we begin to worship Him as He is, something happens down deep within us. That glory, that thing you can't explain starts changing things. In a moment that could take years of counseling to change, a healing could happen in your life because of God's glory at work in you. How many of you have experienced that to some degree? Look to Jesus. And this the last two points are much shorter than that first one. Second point is to worship Him and be renewed. I, I want to ask you as, as we talk about this, is your heart responding in worship to God? If we look at the text, what do we see in Jesus? He's perfect. Perfection is incarnated, what was in him wasn't the brokenness that we have, but it was the fullness of God, the glory of God, full of grace and truth. And that's what came out of him. And from his fullness, John says, we receive grace upon grace. How many know that to be true in your life? You didn't just get one-time grace, right? Wipe the slate clean, don't screw it up again, right? It's grace upon grace that we receive from God. He's, he's moving in the flesh. He's feeling 
our infirmities and brokenness. He's loving the unlovable and forgiving the unforgivable. I love this. The word in verse 15, the word dwelt, and he dwelt among us, is the word tabernacled. Tabernacled. What does that remind you of? No longer is the glory of God housed in some tabernacle out in the backside of a desert with a million people camped around it. But now the glory of God is in a human tabernacle with legs walking directly into the most broken places of the city. With, with hands touching the dirtiest lives. With love that we can't explain. Jesus was made flesh so that he could walk in the flesh. Take in the flesh. Talk in the flesh. Feel our emotions, our pain, what it means to be tired, hurt, broken, sick. To have his flesh Torn and broken and bludgeoned and hung up on a cross for us. When you think of His love for you that caused Him to do that, what does that do to your heart? Does that cause you to want to worship Him? Does that cause you to thank Him? Doesn't that make you just want to stand in awe of God? The holy God who owes us nothing but judgment loved us so much that dwelling apart from us wasn't enough for him. That dwelling in a tabernacle around with people camped around him wasn't enough for him. But he sent his very own son in the likeness of flesh to walk among us. And instead of that glory, this part I love, instead of that glory burning us up and destroying us, his glory gave us life. It was full of grace for sinners, for the broken, bedraggled humanity, the remnants. Yet in His grace, He didn't compromise His truthful character. That has said and met of the Old Testament were fully realized in the life of Jesus. And a lot of people looked at Jesus. A lot of people saw Him, didn't they, as He walked around in the flesh. But God's grace only opened some of their eyes to see His glory. And when they saw His glory in the face of Jesus Christ, they were changed. The grace and truth of God warm their hearts. Is that what's happening for you right now? As you hear this, is it old news? Is it just words? Or as you hear this, are you causing your heart to worship and glorify God and experience a, a warm, change, transform heart? I want you to pause for a second and just close your eyes and see Jesus before we move on. And in your heart, in your own way, I just want to ask you, will you worship him? Will you thank him? Take a second to let his glory renew your heart. Thank you for your love, God. Thank you for your grace for us. The last point, displaying Jesus. You know, the cool thing is the more you do that, the more you take time to see Jesus as he is and worship him and let your heart be renewed, the more it actually does change your life. It transforms you. And you begin to display Jesus. There's a lot of people that try to display Jesus with their own strength. They try to follow all the rules. They try to get it all right. But that's insufficient to really change you. That's like putting a wedding dress on a pig. And I'm not calling you a pig. I'm saying like we're all 
pretty broken compared to the glory of God, right? Our hearts are pretty broken. But as you see God's glory and it transforms you, you begin to live as a new creation. Day in, day out, newly remade, newly reformed and changing from the inside out. That's why Jesus prayed. I love this prayer in John 17, 24. You know what Jesus prayed for you? The culmination of his prayer for his followers was this. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Whether you're aware of it or not, seeing God's glory will radically change your life. It's the Spirit's work in you to help you see God's glory, to warm your heart and change you from the inside out. Why? So that you begin displaying Jesus. That's why. How many of you guys want to display Jesus? How many of you guys want to look more like Jesus? You want to love more like Jesus? Forgive more like Jesus? Yeah. I mean, he did something right. He changed the whole world. Our calendar is A.D. and B.C. I mean, the guy was pretty powerful. I want to look more like him. I want to start to resemble him. And God wants to change you, and he does it by letting you see his glory. But it doesn't stop there, and I I love this. Toward the end of John, Jesus is enthroned on a cross, and his glory is on display for everyone to see. His body is broken. As he dies, what happens in the temple? The veil is torn from top to bottom. And that glory of God that was always held in that nobody could see, it's like it went viral. It's like it went breaking out of the temple, breaking out of the places where it had been housed and spreading out throughout the whole world. It didn't stop there. A few days after his resurrection, what did he do? He poured out his Holy Spirit and filled us. We're sinners. We should die in the light of his glory, but he filled us. With his glory, because we've been made righteous by his gospel work in us. And now Romans 12 says that we're the temples. Do you, get, like, do you see a picture of that? God isn't content to dwell apart from us. He dwells in his people. Then he sends Jesus. Jesus dies and he sends his spirit where? Into you. Into you. Fills you with his spirit. And now the church is millions of tabernacles as it were, all over the world, dwelling places for the glory of God, going out, touching lives that are broken, loving people who other people would reject, giving grace to people that people wouldn't forgive. That is God's work in His church. Catch a vision for that. God didn't just die for you to change, but He died to work change through your life into other people. God wants you today to see Jesus and be changed by Him so much that you actually begin to display Him in your life. Do you see that? And then like it, I love this. 1 Corinthians 7 says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Right? We're pretty broken. Just jars of clay, but we have the treasure, the glory of God living within us. How are we changed? We're being transformed as we look upon His glory. One more scripture I'll give you. First, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And this is one of the Puritans' favorite verses on sanctification, Christian maturity, being made like Christ. And we read it actually in CBR last week. So some of you guys might remember this verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face... Mind you of Moses there? 
we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. I'm starting to display Jesus. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We see Him, and our hearts are renewed, and we are transformed from the inside out, and we begin to display Him. That is how Christianity works. And nothing less than seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus, full of grace and truth, is sufficient to change your life. Not all the rules you can pack on, not all the behavior modification. And then 1 John 3, 2 says that one day, there's coming a day when that transformation will be complete. We will be like Him, for we will what? See Him as He is. It's the beatific vision, the theologians call it. The beatific vision. One day, in a holy moment, you will be with God and you'll see Him face to face. And all that sin and brokenness and the hurts of your past and everything else will be gone. But you will be made whole in the presence of the holy God that created you, that sustained your life, that has brought you into that moment by his sovereign grace at work for you. What a picture. So a couple of questions for you as we start winding down. How... Are you seeing His glory? Are you engaging in private worship regularly? Do you prayer journal? What do you do do to see the glory of God regularly in your life? That's the only thing that's going to change you. What are you setting up to see God's glory? Are you listening to the Word on Sundays with, with an expectancy, with a heart geared toward worshiping Christ through what you hear? Are you meeting together regularly with community, with people who love Jesus and are pointing you to Him? as the solution for the problems that you're facing. Help get your eyes off of your sin or your addiction or your negative situation and get your eyes on the Savior, the only one sufficient to actually save your life. And is the glory you're seeing and displaying full of grace and truth? But as we see Him, we're just transformed from the inside out and we begin incarnating the character and passions and desires of Christ. Are we tracking? Awesome. So in the meantime, what do we do? We need to see the glory of God full of grace and truth. And I want to I ask uh, the musicians to start coming. And a couple of action steps I want to ask you guys. I want to call you to this week as New City. As a church is being shaped and transformed by the grace of Jesus. We need to see the glory of God full of grace and truth in Jesus Christ. We need to worship Him and be renewed so we can experience true transformation and display Him in our lives. Here's my hope for everyone in New City this week. That you would begin seeing Jesus as frequently as possible. That's it. It's not an action step for you to go out and give ten people high fives or drive the speed limit. The action step for this week that I would love for everyone to take is to begin seeing Jesus as frequently as possible, with as much of Jesus as you can see, and worship Him in His glory. CBR, that's one way we do that, the city Bible reading, reading through the Bible together, meeting in gospel community. This, this moment right now is an opportune moment. This moment, as the musicians begin to play, and as we begin to sing and take communion, is a moment for you guys to see Jesus in His glory and worship Him. And as you do that, 
you'll start to experience a change in your heart. You can point somebody else at the communion table who's struggling with sin or struggling with something that they can't shake. You can point them to look at Him and they see Jesus. To behold Him in His light and His glory full of grace and truth. And that I pray that you guys would begin to get your eyes off of all the lesser things, the lesser glories, the things that have your attention, the things that drive your life besides God. And that you begin to place your hope upon Him. Put your trust in Him. Put your faith in Him and find His glory to be sufficient. So when your bills are drowning you, that you turn your eyes to Jesus. You guys tracking? Let's pray. I want to pray over you guys. God, I thank you for your glory. I thank you that it's a glory that is unlike any other. The best sunset can't even compete. Yet we're on our own apart from Christ's work for us. We are unable to even lay lay an eye upon your glory. We burn up. We're so broken. We're so in need of you on our own. We're cracked from the fall and crooked deep down. But I praise you that you were not content to leave it that way. That you loved us so much, as John 3.16 says, you loved the world so much, you sent your only begotten Son that any of us who believe on Him would not perish, but would actually experience the everlasting life that was His from the beginning. thank you for your grace I thank you for your truth and I can't pray a better prayer than Jesus so I want to wrap it with that God that you would show us your glory out of your grace and truth and your love for us that you would really open the eyes of our heart to see you as you are and that you would warm our hearts and renew us so that we could experience the change and actually begin to place our feet on the path of mission and become more like you in Jesus' name.